You're listening to The Music Tricked Me, a podcast by French recording engineer Elise Mollet, where music insiders talk about their experience in the industry and all the tricks they've learned along the way. The Music Tricked Me Hello, hello everyone. I am today with Adam, who is live uh, in Los Angeles. Good morning, Adam. It's 10am for you and 6 for us. Um, How's Los Angeles this morning? It's good. Just getting going. Another perfect day in LA. So, uh, (laughs) you know, it doesn't really change here much. Really? (laughs) Weather-wise. So it's a little, I mean, you know, it's... This is our winter, right? You know, so it's like in the 60s. (laughs) So, uh, So, yeah. It's another beautiful day, another perfect day in, in Southern California, living the dream. Wow, cool. And how are you doing? I'm well. Yeah, no, I'm well. I've been traveling. I mean, we met in in Dublin. I've been I've been on the road since we met pretty much. And uh, things are finally slowing down as the year winds down. But uh, did a lot of these, uh, did a lot of festivals and, and conferences this fall. Uh, you know, post-pandemic, every event is kind of back. Mm-hmm. uh and uh so it's been it's been pretty busy out there yeah yeah it's all about people for sure well thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today um it's going to be like absolutely brilliant to hear your input um so for those of you who are listening adam owns his own pr company called planetary group which means he's going to be able to talk to us about all things pr but also because he's based in la we will touch a bit on things that are more specific to the states and u.s media to start with can you tell us a bit more about your background from when you started working in music to what you're doing now yeah sure so i mean my uh, you know, listen. I, I was reading Billboard in the back class, uh, back row of math class in high school, right? So, I mean, that was you know that was kind of my start, right? It was just uh, consuming, 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 and going to used record stores and buying everything I possibly could. And you know, my first first job was was working at a record store as a clerk, making three dollars an hour. <laughs> uh, and I, and I begged for that job, begged. It was it was such a hard job to get. Everyone wanted that job, right? So. Um, it, it was, you know, kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy looking back at that, like, you know, but, uh, yeah, first job was in retail and, and then, you know, during college, um, you know, also being in retail at that time too, you know, you were, you were such a shithead, right. Cause you know, I mean, our, our, the cash register was even up on a pedestal. So like, you're literally looking down at people, you know, they're bringing you their record. And if it's like a shit record, like you're literally looking down at them. Right. Like, I mean, it, it, you know, uh, it, it was very high fidelity, um, and, and, uh, a lot of fun in a way, <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, that was, that was my first game. But then when I went to college, I took over my college radio station and, um, uh, by the end of the first semester of, of college. And uh, I ran my radio station for three and a half years. And for a couple of years, I was the music editor of the school paper and the concert chair on the social committee, uh, booking the bands on campus. So that was kind of my whole world at college. Classes were kind of secondary, even though I did fine in school. I just, I you know, they, the, the classes were just something that had to be done so that I could do the other more important work, which was, you know, running the radio station and, and uh, booking bands. And, and through all of that, through all the networking that I was able to do at that time with those 
with those record labels that were calling the station and and with those agents that I was booking bands with and managers that I was booking bands with, uh, you know, I, I built a network and I, I got my first job right out of college. Had a, you know, I graduated right into a job when, you know, it was 1991. It was a recession. No one had jobs. I was one of the only people in my social group to have a job. And I was very lucky and, and uh, started working there for a... Um, a college booking agency that was booking national talent uh, on college campuses throughout North America. It was, it was the biggest college booking company out there. So when you say when you say booking, were you booking gigs, events? Yeah, yeah, booking concerts, booking major concerts. So primary agents don't really want to deal with college students, right? So there are a whole there's a whole network in the U.S. of of what are called middle agents that work with the primary agents to book talent on college campuses. So every college in America has a fall weekend and a spring weekend, you know, and, and they'll call it, you know, spring jam, spring fest, some version of Lollapalooza or whatever. Mm -hmm. And every, every college will have, you know, a homecoming show or a spring weekend. And they're all kind of on the same weekends all across the country. So you have to find a lot of different talent within a three or four week window in the fall and then in the and then in the spring and then some schools the bigger schools have other shows uh in other times during the year but every school has something in the spring and and the fall uh it's good business for colleges right mm -hmm. so uh they want to keep the students uh, amused and so my first gig was was booking those talent th those acts uh, at those campuses working with the primary acts so you know at the time we were working with you know the big acts of the time, right? You know, we worked with um, Public Enemy. We worked with uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs. We worked with the Spin Doctors. Uh, we did a lot of comedy, like George Carlin, Dana Carvey, Stephen Wright, uh, all the big comics of the time. Howie Mon Howie Mandel. You know, we did a lot of bands that you would laugh at now. You know, uh, CNC Music Factory, and you know stuff like that. But you know, at the time, they were they were big acts, and. Uh, you know, we did hundreds of those shows and, and uh, that was my first gig, you know, and, and I really enjoyed it, but I, I didn't enjoy the company was based in upstate New York and I'd done four years of school in rural New Hampshire and another, another year plus in upstate rural New York. I needed, I needed some city life. <laughs> um, so I then left the company went to boston which is a big college town that's where i originally am from and convinced the company to let me work on commission and uh book shows at the colleges in new england uh just strictly on on commission and, and i did that for a few years but while i was doing that uh people knew me around boston for my work in radio in college and people kept asking me for advice and help to promote their records to radio and so at the same time as i was doing the booking i was i started promoting records to radio at the same time um because radio is very much instant you get hired you start the next week you get paid that week it, you know the cash flow is is king right you, you get getting paid right away whereas you book a show you're booking that show three to six months out and you're getting paid a month after the show, you know, it's a long wait, right, for cash. And when you're 22 and you need money, 
uh radio was the was the quicker thing and 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 so the radio stuff was kind of growing so for a while for several years i was doing both and and i was self-employed and i kind of was had a bit of a schizophrenic identity because i was doing both things at the same time but over time, radio became much larger, and and it just kind of pushed the booking out. Um, and and then Planetary was formed because I hired a, an employee, and then another employee, and we were doing more radio. And then it just slowly grew, grew from there. And and uh, but that's how I I got my start. And you know, I, I had a few other things in there, like you know, I did some internships in college, working at a, a label called Ryko Disc, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where I learned radio promotion. You know, we were working on the David Bowie reissues, uh, all the all the David Bowie records on CD for the first time. We were doing radio campaigns for those. So that was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then also I, I went out on tour during my summer vacations in college. I went out uh, on the road. I went out with a band called the Aquanettas, who opened a bunch of dates for Nine Inch Nails and um, Meat Beat Manifesto and Squeeze and, and stuff like that. So it toured all over the U.S. with uh, with them. And then the following summer, I went out with a band called Alien Sex Scene from the U.K., gothic rock band. That was a bus tour. That was like a 30-day tour all across North America. So I learned tour managing and how to advance a show and, and, and also really, frankly, what it was like to be on the road with a band and kind of how a band thinks when they're on the road, mm-hmm. especially when the record's not maybe doing as well as one had hoped and interacting with the agent and interacting with the promoters and inter- interacting with um, the label <laughs> or the lack of interacting with the label, you know, and, and uh, those were really valuable experiences. They're definitely jobs for a young man. Uh, I learned early that like touring was really hard and that maybe I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I did a couple national tours and then called that a day. But uh, but yeah, did all of that stuff by, you know, by the time I was like 23. <laughs> so, wow. uh, you know, and then, and then started my company and um, I was too young and dumb to know any better that maybe I shouldn't should have waited a little bit to start my own company. Right. Like, you know, it, it, it a few year, a few more years of experience probably would have helped mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, cause the first couple of years were incredibly lean and by couple, I mean, five or 10, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it takes a while to build it up. Right. And, uh, but there was enough there in the early days to kind of show me that like, this was a doable thing, you know, and, and, uh, and after being in school for and, and running the station and, and doing my own booking for, you know, three and a half years, I was just all about being my own self-starter and my own boss. Like I, I really didn't do well working for someone kind of needed to just be my own person. So mm-hmm. anyway, to answer your question, long, long answer, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's how I got my start. Thanks. It is important to see like the journey that people have had their interest and what nourished them throughout their journey. So it is, it is very interesting. Thank you. Um, so what your was Planetary Group uh, created then? And can you tell us uh, what it's doing? So Planetary Group was uh, officially christened and incorporated and became a legit company, i.e. paying taxes, in 1996. <laughs> I had been self-employed for uh, three and a half years prior. But, you know, it was kind of fly by night, pay me in cash. <laughs> this is an unofficial thing at that yeah. time, right? But Planetary became a real company in 1996. So we celebrated 25 years in business uh, during lockdown and um, 
we're still kind of celebrating our 25th because I feel like we got chipped during lockdown. <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, so our 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 core business uh, these days, um, we have three divisions. We do radio promotion, we do PR, and we do social media promotion. And within radio, we do college radio, what they call specialist radio, and we do non-commercial radio. So those are all the areas that are kind of the most supportive places for new artists to kind of start getting the word out and, and building a fan base uh, throughout North America. So we do all of North America, US and Canada, um, talking to, you know, over 300 radio stations on a weekly basis. Uh, it's our biggest department on the radio team. Um, there's, I think, six of them, six people in the radio department. The PR world is going after all the blogs and the websites and, you know, all the sites that are covering new releases whether it's reviews or features or picks, um, going after Spotify playlists, that, that type of thing, anything online, uh, they're covering in the PR side. And then the social media side is is going after your social media sites, you know, for, for different clients, uh, coming up with social media campaigns and strategies that can be either, um, you know, a, a Facebook campaign, an Instagram campaign, or, or, or even uh, to some extent, some TikTok uh, type of stuff. Uh, but those are our three, three departments. And we're all about just working with, with new artists um, to get the word out. Mm. Oh, brilliant. That's going to be a plenty to talk about, definitely. Maybe for a start, we can remind what PR stands for and what is a PR, what it means. So what does it, what does it mean to do PR? I mean, so, you know, it stands for public relations, right? But I mean, it's, it's for us, there's lots of different types of PR, right? There's disaster PR, corporate PR, you know, all, all these type of things. But, you know, for us, we just do music PR where we're going after uh, press for new releases. Uh, and that new release can, can really just be new content, right? It can be a single, it can be a video, it could be an EP or an album. Um, so based on what we have to work with, we'll then come up with a plan to roll that out. You know, if, if we know that an album is, you know, if you have an album to work with, we will look to do a four month campaign on that. You know, hopefully we have the time. Right. That's that's the real key is right. People contacting us ahead of time enough so that we can do what we what we need to do. Um, so, you know, theoretically, if the album was coming out in April, uh, we would look to release uh, assets in January, February, March leading up to that album release in April. So we might have a single uh, that we're uh, in January uh, that has a video and we might look to find an online blog publication that would want to feature or premiere uh, that video. And uh, we could use that as an announcement for that album coming out. Uh, the next month we might have another single. It might just be a standalone single. We might not have a video for it. So we might do a little less. Maybe we look for some playlisting. Um, it depends, you know, again, it just depends on what we have to work with. But the key is to try to keep having uh, content released over time, building excitement leading up to the release of that album. And, and, and all it is is, you know, going after your contacts uh, in the media to try to to garner that. And obviously the music drives that, right? I can't make someone like your record. All I can do is make sure that the right person gets it. They listen to it. And, and, and then they give us feedback um, and that feedback may be not responding. Right. But that, that feedback, but that is, that is feedback. Right. So, you know, what we can do for you is really dictated based on 
what they think of the record, right? Like, you know, they may think it's too early to do a feature and they might just want to list it as a new release or they might want to put it on a new release playlist or something like that. They might think it's amazing and they might want to do a lot with it. They might want to do an interview. Uh, it's all going to be driven on what their level of excitement for the project is. Uh, and then we can go from there. Um, you know, the days of planting stuff with a new band, you know, it's not like it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, I used to be able to plant stories all the time in publications, you know, newspapers, especially because they were printing money. Right. You know, they had so much advertising revenue. I used to play a game in one, one publication. I would try to see how many times I would get that same band written about in the same publication. Right. Oh. The record was four, by the way. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so it's uh, so, yeah, PR, is just, you know, getting the word out, getting your story out, getting getting the um, the narrative out there that you want uh, about your band and about your or your artist you know and and, uh and about the product that you're selling at the end of the day which is you know either a single or video or an album Mm -hmm. well that's a great introduction to pr thank you (laughs) um there's in terms of um having a few terms defined as well i thought i would take what planetary says on its website it says planetary will tailor a campaign based around an artist's goals that targets the most appropriate outlets for release and from that i'd like to chat to you can you give us the definition of what a campaign is what are possible artist goals and what do you call an appropriate outlet yeah so everyone's going to come to us at a different level right and and with different needs and with different goals Uh, I spend half my time talking people out of doing a press campaign, Mm -hmm. right? Because, and maybe I'm not a good businessman, but, uh, you know, it doesn't always make sense for you to be doing a full-on PR campaign for your brand new release. If you're a brand new artist, you, you know, no one's ever heard of you. This is your first record. And, you know, you can't sell out a phone booth in your hometown, you know, you shouldn't be doing a full full on national press campaign, right? You just shouldn't. It's too early. So, you know, uh, it's all about kind of looking at the situation and then coming up with the best options, you know, from there. Sometimes I'll just recommend to a new band to just go after college radio in the U.S. Um, it's a very supportive place that's just playing new music that's not based on your uh, status and your and your clicks right so much of pr is looking at your social media story mm-hmm. um they want to know how many likes you have how many followers you have uh because they want to write about you and then you share them on your socials and they get the benefit of your clicks right that's how they make their money and their status right yeah. so with a new band that's a very hard thing to do so sometimes i will look at just doing a college radio campaign uh, or a specialist radio campaign because those people are just music fans that are uh, looking to expose cool new music and not interested in in, in the financial and the stat part of it, right? So uh, it can be a very supportive place for a new artist to, to start um, getting their first exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really just depends, you know, on, on, on what makes sense. So, you know, a campaign, you know, a press campaign, like I said, is normally about four months uh, in length, and we will look for outlets that make sense for that, campaign you know we're not going to spam it out to every single station or every single pr outlet out there we're going to come up with a targeted approach of like what makes sense for this artist you know are these the right sites for where this band is or artist is at at this time you know are there 
you know, is, is there a writer that has covered similar artists to this? Is this site covering artists that are at this level, right? Like, again, if you're a brand new artist, your first exposure is not going to be on Pitchfork, right? So you've got to look for a mom and pop type of blog, you know, a, a smaller blog, a local blog, uh, whatever it may be, that would make sense to, to get your first PR from. There's no shame in getting small smaller sites writing about you right you, you know it's all about getting as many as possible and if, and if you kind of look at it from an seo standpoint i just want stuff to come up when people start searching you yeah. and as you start pitching writers and entertainment people along the way and also up the food chain they want to see that lots of other people are writing about you you know everyone wants to kind of be first to be talking about a new band but they don't want to really be first if the band's completely unknown it's kind of like a, a bit of a cat and mouse game there that you're playing so you know, it, anyway, getting back to kind of the, the, the question, uh, it's going to be different for every artist and you want to kind of come up with a tailored approach that makes sense, you know, for you uh, to go after. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's in what you said about maybe yeah, you, you lose a few people because you're honest enough to say, well, now it's not the right time. That's precisely why I wanted to talk to you because I like your, your honesty and your straightforwardness because it's important to talk to artists that will talk about PR, not just for doing it at all costs, but PR in terms of like, what's a smart content and when is the right time to do things. So, um, in terms of when when is a good time, can you tell us more about that? So, although I'll try to talk people out of doing certain things, I'll always try to point them into something that will work, right? Mm -hmm. So even though it's even though it may be too early to do press, it's never too early to do some promotion, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or a smaller press campaign. It's just all about kind of being realistic about the goals and what what makes sense right now for you but you should never release anything without getting without without maximizing that release right get, get something for each release that you're putting out there you know get some playlisting do some social media advertising find a local blog find a local radio show anything i'm all about doing promotion for everything that you release it's just a question of how much right so you know, so that kind of hopefully that answers your question. But you know, that that's that's the way I, that's the way I look at it, right? So I'll, I'll always always do something, look for something that makes sense. Just keep the expectations. You know, so much of this business is all about expectations and being realistic, right? Each campaign is going to be built on the shoulders of the one before it, right? And you're starting from zero. No one knows who you are on your first release. And, you know, maybe you send it out to college radio and maybe you get 100 stations playing your record on that first record. Well, you come back with your next release, you've got 100 stations in your back pocket from the last campaign and you're going to add on another 30. And, you know, you're going to have 130 stations or so, you know, playing your record, right? And you just keep building on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always the way I kind of look at it and just try to, you know, targeting it towards, you know, wh wh where it makes sense. There's always something to do promotion-wise. You just have to be have to be realistic about it mm -hmm. um, and, and, and kind of take it step by step and build it, right? But even, you know, sometimes even doing a press campaign and not getting any press is like still worthwhile, you know, because you're educating those writers. So it's, again, it's just really all about like, when does it make sense to kind of pull the trigger to kind of, you know, really do something, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's hopefully you're going to work with a, 
a professional that will be honest with you and tell you what's realistic and what we think we can get. No publicist can guarantee you any coverage whatsoever. Like if that doesn't, just because you're hiring someone doesn't mean you're actually going to get any press. All you're, all you're guaranteeing is effort, right? And so, you know, you, you, you've just got to be able to trust that person and, and hopefully work together as a team to kind of come up with a, with a plan and, and get feedback and then see, see how the record reacts. It's all about the record at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I agree. Lots of questions coming from that. So the main one is, will campaigns be different if bands are at different stages of their career? Can you give us examples of what campaigns look like depending on that? And what does it apply for the budget of the campaign? I think that, I mean, it's not a secret. Like there's no like, you know, uh, I don't sell campaigns as like... Uh, this is the this is the we try really hard campaign and this is the we try extra hard campaign and this, <laughs> this is the special super duper campaign right you know all, all the there's no secret what sites are out there you know and we're going to and we're going to on some level we're going to service all sites the mu the music if it makes sense musically right like i'm not going to send a rock record to an americana site but i mean like in terms of everyone who's covering indie rock whether it's a small band or a large band we're going to service all of those folks unless we feel like there's a reason not to, right? Maybe we know that that writer hates that type of band or whatever, then of course we're not going to, but you know, it's, it's the excitement of the record and the excitement of the band and the level of the band will dictate the size of the blog that's writing about it. But in terms of like scope, unless we're really just trying to work with the local band and, and try to get their very first stuff, it's pretty much this it's pretty much the same i mean we'll just target some different sites and some different writers right i mean you know if, if it's a if it's a band that's really going for it you know we'll we'll go after you know a, a pitchfork or a stereo gum or a brooklyn vegan or a, a paste or you know it, it just depends you know on, on on the act and 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 where they're at but it's it's you know, the, the, everyone knows what the real sites are out there. And then, there, you know, because there's not a lot of middle class, right? There's all kind of the large sites and then all the tiny ones. <laughs> and there's not a lot in the middle, yeah. right? So uh, that's kind of how it works. It's not a not a secret, mm -hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, the I think on the radio side, it's a little more about levels because on the, on the radio side of, of what we do, if you're a brand new band, you're going after college radio and specialist radio. If you've got a little bit more happening, you're gonna go. You're gonna go after what they call non-com radio, AAA radio. These are these are the larger formats. Non-com is not non-commercial, but it's larger kind of professionally run stations that border on on a AAA side of things. So, like a, an example would be KCRW here in Los Angeles or. Uh, KEXP in Seattle, you know, those stations, you know, are adventurous, but they also want to see a story and want to see something going on. And they're not going to play a brand new band kind of out of nowhere. At least there's exceptions, of course, but like in general at the non-com format is definitely more uh, reserved than what they're playing as compared to a uh, college format, right? So we'll start mm -hmm. bands out at the college format. If that goes well, we might do specialty at the same time, or we might stagger it and do it a little later. And then if those are going well, we might do a full non-comp campaign. And if it's the right type of band, we might do a non-comp AAA campaign. So that's a much more staggered release uh, situation. And it also gets it more expensive on uh, each, you know, you're spending more money with each format that you add. Mm -hmm. Whereas press, 
is not quite as you know i don't work with superstars right so i mean obviously if we're working with really big acts you know that's a lot more money and you're going to be covering a lot more things because you're going to be doing tv and you know uh junkets and uh and you're playing more gatekeeper you're you're more getting hired to say no than you are getting hired to to pitch right but uh you know with developing with developing artists you're kind of pitching most of the same same outlets uh on the press side um mm. did you ask me what the rates were is was that one of your questions i forget yes if you can give yeah. like an idea are different campaigns for uh, bands at different stages of their career will be different uh, there would be different budgets involved then yeah sure so uh on the on the pr side of things you know again depending on you know a lot of firms are there's a bit of a range right but it, it's pretty normal to be paying in the 1500 to $2500 US a month for a PR campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, the smaller smaller bands, smaller smaller scope will be on the lesser side of that. Um the larger firms and and larger campaigns will be on the higher end of that. The you know, in campaigns, you know, for a single, if it's just a standalone single or a standalone video, that might be a one month campaign. An EP with a couple of singles prior, that, that would probably be a three-month campaign. An LP, four-month campaign. So as you can see, it adds up pretty quickly and it gets expensive pretty quickly. And there, and again, there's no guarantee of results with PR. So that's why you always want to make sure it makes sense to really be pulling the trigger to do that, right? Because you could spend, you know, six grand minimum on an album campaign for PR and get not a lot of results, right? Mm -hmm. So that, you know... That's why you want to make sure it makes sense to do it, you know, and there's and there's a lot of people that worry and wonder if PR is still worthwhile. Right. Uh, you know, it doesn't 10 years ago or eight years ago or so, if you got a review on Pitchfork, you know, and and uh, your video premiered or, or video premiered on any kind of A-level blog, you know, all of a sudden you'd have 10 or 15,000 views in 24 hours. And, you know, it was it was a earth moving situation right like you know earth shaking type of thing uh it's not that anymore right because everything's so spread out um so that's why sometimes people are like hey why should i even be spending the money for this i still think you should because you need you need that credibility right and you also need that content for your socials uh and you need it from a purely seo standpoint and you know, listen, festival bookers, club bookers, everyone is looking at what is happening with the band. So it all kind of feeds into everything. So, yeah, you totally still need to do press, but you just need to make sure you're doing it at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, radio is less less expensive on the college side of things. You know, a college radio campaign could could run you, you know, anywhere from around eighteen hundred dollars to twenty five hundred dollars, depending on if it's an EP or an album. Uh, you can do it all digitally. Um which is kind of a real change in the last couple of years. You know, you used to have to send out hundreds of CDs. We still send out some CDs if we have them. We just send out a lot less. So, you know, postage costs have gone way down uh, because of that. If you start adding on other formats, you know, if you add on a specialty campaign as part of that, you know, that you want to probably budget about a grand for that. And if you're adding on, if you're, if you're doing a, a college and, you know, non-com campaign, you know, you, you would probably want to add on anywhere from another thousand to two thousand dollars on top of that, you know. So uh and then triple A is a commercial format, and then that starts getting much more pricey. You know, mm -hmm. you could be in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range for its commercial triple A campaign. So again, you take it step, you know, radio in America is very much about 
climbing a ladder, taking it step by step. You only move forward if the previous level went well, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't try to start at level three (laughs) to go to level four, which a Uh lot of people do, right? They try to skip steps or they go, oh, college radio is not important. We're just going to, we're going to go for it. We're just going to go right for it. And obviously nine times out of 10, that doesn't work. And then you've got nowhere to go because you skipped the steps and you have no foundation now and you can't, can't go backwards once you've tried to play the commercial game. So uh, you, you got to take it step by step and, and then really be careful and frank about proceeding to the next steps, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there you go. That there's there's your budgets. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm definitely going to come back to that. You know, um, when the band is ripe for a PR campaign uh, and all that. But uh, first, I just wanted to ask, just bluntly, if I'm a band and I'm paying you that money, so what can I expect? What is included in a campaign? What do people get for for their money, basically? They get effort, right? So the we will you know, we will ask for a lot of different materials Mm -hmm. and then we will try to tweak those on top of that. Right. So on a press campaign, we're going to want you to send us multiple photos. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to want wave files of the songs, track list. We're going to want production notes, photo credits. We're going to want whatever you've been working with for a bio right okay. uh even hopefully you have some sort of rough draft type of thing we're going to want any if you have any past press quotes or or newsworthy history we want to know what that is uh we're going to want your lyrics we're going to want your high high res artwork and we'll have a questionnaire that you'll fill out that will help us come up with your story we're going to want to learn more about you what you've done, what you're looking to do, what your what are your hobbies? What are some of your other interests other than music? So we can kind of look for targets that way. Uh, the days of sending out a big bio and a cover letter and a page full of quotes and like, you know, three or four pages and a, a press kit, if you will, are over. Uh, you get pitched, I'm sure, just for your podcast or other things. You know, people people aren't reading. People aren't reading. So you know, your whole pitch now is going to be one one page and it's going to be it's going to be probably three or four paragraphs at most. And they're not going to be long paragraphs and they're going to be in an email and that email is going to have links to more info. So it's going to be short and kind of sweet with more information if people want it, because we got to get to the point because I don't you know, all, all the pitching is happening through email and we don't want them scrolling because <laughs> they're not going to do it right so we, so it's going to be pretty succinct we will help come up with that pitch and that story and we will post more information on our back end that you know that we will write uh for writers that want more but and, and so we'll help you come up with all of that obviously uh we'll ask you a lot of questions and, and gather those materials and go from there the you know it's important to realize that journalism quote unquote music journalism has really changed in the last five, 10 years. And again, not what it used to be. Mm. You have a lot less writing going on and a lot more copy and pasting of press releases going on. You know, the larger sites, of course, are, are, are better, right? They have got, you know, real writers. But the smaller sites, mid-sized sites are, are really just taking your press release, 
and and copy and pasting it liberally. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, a lot of people hate that because, oh, you know, they're not writing, they're not giving me quotes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I get that. But you also are, con- you're also controlling the narrative, right? And so you're able to get the story out there that you want to get out there. So get a good story, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and get that out there. Um, it's, it, it's, so it's just important to realize that and kind of play that game. You have to realize too, that most of these writers at the, lar- even at the larger sites are not staffers and they are freelancers. And, you know, the, the, that plays into the ability to get placements there because these freelancers have to convince an assignment editor or an editor, if you will, uh, that this is a worthwhile thing to cover. And that editor has to believe it's worthwhile so much so that they will be willing to pay a freelancer to cover it. So that's a big hurdle, right? Because we'll have to pitch freelancers to find someone that's interested in this. And then that freelancer has to pitch the editor. So there's a lot of steps involved in getting that placement to happen and there's a lot of pitfalls you know where it can go wrong um so you need to know that kind of uh going in but yeah so that hopefully that answers your question in terms of i'm kind of getting off track but you know th- <laughs> those okay. are kind of the assets and kind of how how we'll help you on the press side of things on the radio side of things one of the joys of college radio and specialist radio is we need very little other than the music mm-hmm. uh they will play your record if they like it they won't play it if they don't like it and that is kind of the end of the story so whereas Whereas press is about coming up with a story and the angle and why does this matter? Why is this important, et cetera? On the radio side, it's really, you know, it's an elevator pitch that we're giving someone. You know, if we're talking to them on the phone, it's a 20-second elevator pitch about the record. We're sending out maybe a paragraph of information with the record. Uh, They're going to stream it. If they like it, they'll download it and they'll play it on their show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we really just need WAV files artwork bio you know but uh i don't have to come up with a big big pitch and story and and uh, i don't even really come up with as many targets on the radio side because on the radio side you're trying to get as many stations as possible to play it all at the same time you're playing this big game of herding cats right you're trying to get everyone to kind of do the same thing at the same time so you're sending it out to 300 stations and and hoping that you know uh, a whole bunch of them play it at the same time. And whoever says they're not going to play it that week, then that pool just gets smaller and smaller every week. And you're just zeroing in on the ones that you can still convert, you know, and, and uh, so it's, it's a lot less uh, scientific, you know, press is much more like kind of down the list to work your way down the list. Radio is a lot more going after just, uh, at least on the college side, going after as, as much airplay as possible. Mm. And in terms of narrative, because this is something that you highlighted um, a lot during the conference at Ireland Music Week, having the narrative, having a story to tell, and you say one of the questions that you ask bands who come to you is, why do you make music? And so can you tell us the kind of questions and tips that you give to bands to embrace their uniqueness and quirkiness, find their originality and their narrative? I don't know if I can give someone a tip on how to be unique. You're either unique or you're not, right? <laughs> so, uh, how to write about it? <laughs> you know, you you definitely uh, you definitely know it when you see it. You know when you're hearing something original, and you want to embrace that and and amplify that w- w- when you see it, right? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, years ago, I was in Iceland. I was speaking at a conference. And I was trying to explain to them, you know, they're so isolated there. And I, and I was trying to explain to them, I said, you know, just the fact that you're from Iceland makes people in the U.S. want to listen to your music, yeah. right? Just just 
point blank, you know, and this was, this was 15 years ago. Uh, and none of them could accept that. <laughs> and I was kind of, and I was like, you know, the local newspaper there was kind of like, you know, the writer there, the music writer was like, no, that, that's not true. And he was kind of, you know, really pushing back on that. I said, no, listen, it's, it's the, that is the reality. And that is your selling point. And you should be embracing that and using the fact that you're from Iceland to just get people to, to play it. Now, that fact that they're from Iceland is not going to make someone like your record. It's just going to make someone press play. And that's the whole game here, right? So we're always going to want to amplify whatever that story may be, whatever is interesting about that band or artist to get them to press play. And then after that, the music does the talking. So, you know, to answer your question, I would just always look to whatever that interesting, you know, story may be uh, to get people interested. I, I tend to use geography. I'm, I'm a big travel fan. Uh, I like to travel and I and I like music. So I travel the world and go to a lot of these events. And uh, I like to find artists that are from kind of faraway lands and be the first person to introduce them into the U.S. market. And I think people know that about us and expect that from us. And, and, and I think they want to check it out because, you know, you, you always take the bands in your backyard for granted, right? You're always kind of like, like, oh, I want to check this cool band from far away out. I want to check, you know, it just seems more exciting to check out a cool band from Australia or a cool band from, you know, Ireland before, you know, the, the band from up the street, you know, in, in Silver Lake or in Brooklyn or, you know, whatever, right? So um, just like U.S. bands would go to England, you know, and, and, and get popular there, right? It's the same type of thing. Um, so I, I like to do that. That's why I travel uh, a lot. I, I like to be... I, I want to have bragging rights five years later, right? You know, we were we were first. You know, we introduced such and such, you know, act from far away, right? So I mean, and we do that. We do that all the time. Like I mean, you know, we 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 were the first to have Courtney Barnett, you know, and and uh, we introduced Tegan and Sarah twenty years ago. We introduced. Um, you know, just just lots of acts like that. You know, big, I mean, we even introduced BTS in the U.S. I mean, it's absurd, <laughs> right? You know, um, but it's because of the travel and the network that we built up, you know, around the world. Uh, but you know, uh, find finding cool shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And have you seen other narratives that were original apart from the geography, in terms of the story of the band? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it can be. I mean, listen, years years ago, it was you know bands using biofuel to tour uh you know or it could be some hobby that they do or a way to sustain themselves on the road or you know working working mom you know moms on the road you know and you're going after like press and mommy blogs or something like that i mean you know <laughs> whatever the trend may be right there's there's always an angle you know we're working a band right now called air traffic controller from boston the, the lead singer was in the military when he was young when he was young and he was an air traffic controller and that's what the band's named after so we've been going after military press right you know i mean like you know there's 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 always an angle you just have to kind of think about you know think about what 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 could make sense what makes you uh a little interesting you know um and it might just be the music it might just be geography or there might be something another that's why we ask those questions in the questionnaire you know about other hobbies other things that you like to do to try to you know look for other other ways in mm -hmm. you know as opposed to asking a writer to just write about 
write about this band who's got a cool new record coming out. Like that's not really the news story, right? So you're always kind of looking for for other things mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying earlier is that a campaign will work the most efficiently depending on the content that a band will give you. So what is ideal content for a PR to work with? What tips do you have? What are the do's and don'ts? What works? What doesn't? Okay, so do's and don'ts. You know, I mean, the, the, listen, the most important thing, don't hire a publicist until your record's completed or like 99% done, right? You know, I, I, you can still have to master it or something, but like you got to be like just about done, you know, before you're hiring. And and then also, I know you, your new music's amazing and you just got to get it out there and get it online. But like you spent all this time, money and effort making the music. Do not put it online until you have a whole plan in place and you're working with a professional and you come up with a plan on how to release it. Even if you don't hire someone, at least have that conversation, at least figure out that plan. I can't tell you how many times a week I have to tell people I can't help you on the on a press campaign because you've already put your record online. Once your record is online, it is no longer new. Therefore, it is no longer newsworthy. And we are not going to get much press for you on that. And it does not make sense for you to hire us to work it. You might get a few small blogs, local stuff to write about you. But in terms of in terms of like trying to do a formal press campaign and getting any of the larger sites excited, they're not going to touch it once it's online. It's old news. It's over. Everything. That's why you do the waterfall releases. That's why people are doing singles leading up to albums is that you're building excitement up to something. Uh, once, once, once that excitement's gone, can't do press. So that's the biggest thing that you, you know, if that's the one thing you take out of this podcast is, is build your team and, and come up with your plan uh, before putting anything out, you know, online, I would encourage you to make sure you have good artwork, you know, spend, spend the money on a proper graphic designer, spend the money on a proper photographer, or at least someone that knows what they're doing, uh, to get some good photos. Don't lean against the wall. Don't walk on the railroad tracks. Don't lean up against a brick wall, come up with photos that are interesting right? Come up with artwork that is interesting. Definitely have the, you know, you can never have too much content. Film everything you're doing. Film yourself while you're in the studio. You know, yeah, make a video if you can, but at least at the very least, make make film, film some content of, of recording. If you do film a video, make sure you get lots of B-roll and, and extra footage from that video so they have more content for your social media. Um, Again, if you're trying to do a press campaign, you know, there's less writing going on and more posting. So that's why the video is important because, you know, people are consuming music journalism on their phone. And that journalism is often the posting of a video with a paragraph blurb underneath it. And so that's why the video is, it it can be important. Doesn't mean you have to go spend $10,000 or $20,000 making a video, but you can make something that's worthwhile and not just a lyric video, you know, lyric videos are for social media. They're not for editorial. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, definitely if you can do a video, I would strongly recommend it. Hire a writer to write uh, a a bio for you. You you know, if you're going to, you know, obviously a a publicist can work with you on that as well, but if you're doing it yourself, uh, you can hire a writer for 150, $200, something like that. And they will interview you. 
and they will come up with a, a with a a bio and a, and a pitch for you. Writers are always looking for work because writers are always underpaid, unfortunately. And uh, that that's also you know money well spent in terms of having a, a, another good asset you know for you to uh, to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, master your records. You know, mix your record. Have other people mix and master your record. Mm-hmm. So they have other ears on it. Mm-hmm. Again, money well spent, right? Um, if you, you know, you can mix your record yourself, but definitely have someone master it and someone else, right? It, it just so it sounds, you're competing with the big boys. So, you know, that's the one thing about the internet is everyone's on the same page, right? Everyone's yeah. kind of at the same level uh, musically. So, you know, you want your music to sound like it's ready for prime time and not recorded in a bathroom underwater in the bathtub, right? So spend, spend the money on, on mastering. Mm-hmm. It seems like so much money spent on the promotion, and I understand like why it's important promotion and 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 everything. Um, but it's a bit of shame sometimes to to have bands who kind of rush the recording process and the mixing process to then spend all that money on PR and promotion and music video and or and, the other and, way around, spend all that money making the record, going in the great studio. Yeah. They spend all this money making it, and then they do nothing for promotion because yeah. they spent all of their money recording it. And they, I mean, I I hear that again a couple times a week. I we, we you know we don't have any money to promote. We spent all the money making it. I'm like, well, dude, <laughs> put the record in the box for six months and save your money and then release it because what's the point? What's the point? You can't yeah. just put something online and, and think if people are going to find it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't think you have to go into a big studio and spend a ton of money, but work with professionals that know what they're doing and get some other ears on your music that can work with you and they can push you and challenge you and, and get the best out of you and, and polish the music up the best way possible, at least mastering, Mm -hmm. you know, you need those fresh ears on your, you know, by the time you're getting to mastering, you're, you're done with that song. Like you're, you just, you're not going to be able to be objective about it, you know, at all. Right. So, uh, so yeah, all all of those things, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. For sure. I think that any, you know, if the record, pops if the record sounds professional it's you're at least putting yourself in the position to win mm-hmm. right um you don't need to give anyone any reason not to play your record by having it mixed poorly or recorded poorly mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. again if the song stinks it's gonna it's gonna stink in 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 all formats <laughs> right but but uh at least put yourself in the best position to win yeah yeah and how do you think artists can navigate this pr strategy versus dsp strategy because pr strategy you say it's more you know a spread over time versus the dsp strategy nowadays is encouraging people to release things all the time but as you said it's important to not rush so how can people navigate between those two demands basically? well we already are by doing it the way we're doing it right so uh-huh. the the whole four month strategy and a single a month leading up to the album is basically a dsp strategy it is mm-hmm. basically that way because of dsps you know 15 years ago we weren't doing that with an album the record would come out and then we would promote it for three or four months five months after it was out you know and you'd work national press lead long lead times first then you then then you would start working your regional press and then you would do your fanzines and your touring press when the band went out on the road and you'd be doing it for four or five months after the release came out now everything's prior to release and it's all because the 
month forever, uh, you know, because that's what they want. If you're a prolific band or artist, great, you know, but I think, you know, you have to have one foot in the kind of old world and one foot in the new world. And you need to, you need to, there needs to be an event here. And that's what the album is, right? So yes, you can have these singles, 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 but then at some point an EP or an album has to come out and you need to have a strategy with 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 PR and with DSPs kind of intertwined there. Um, you've got to have enough music on that EP or album that hasn't been released yet so that there is some there there. You can't just put an album out that's that's accumulation of of. 10 songs that have all been released already because then who cares? That's not newsworthy. I've already heard those songs, yeah. you know, but if you release four or five of those songs before the album comes out and then the album comes out, and there's another three or five songs that are new. Then there's some, some, some excitement there. Right. So that's kind of the balance. You have to have a foot in both, in both worlds and, and you just need to be honest and, and like, you know, a know how much honest with yourself work with, what are you going to have for the next year, year and a half? Kind of look at it, look at when you want to release the album and then work backwards from that and figure out what you're going to release leading up to that. And then, hey, what do we release after the album? Are there B-sides? Are there extra tracks? Are there bonus tracks? Are there remixes? Are there cover songs? Are there live songs? These are all part of the mix afterwards, right? And that's why you see so many deluxe versions of albums coming out and, and, and all these other things. It's really just a DSP strategy. Mm -hmm. But again, only you can answer that question about how much stuff you're going to have. But there needs to be that line in the sand. The album or the EP is a reason for someone to give a shit mm -hmm. about your product. Because yeah. at the end of the day, a single is very disposable. It comes and goes really quickly. And the EP of the album is the work of art and that's the that's the the thing that will get a, more attention at the end of the day so you kind of use the singles to lead up to that and you use the singles to keep keep your name out there and keep visibility up but just know that that single comes out on friday and by the next week it's kind of over right so that's that's why you have that regular repetition but uh, hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah perfectly thank you. Do you work with the artist to like figure out when he's a this March release time in terms of during the year because of festival seasons or trying to avoid Christmas or um, does it matter what month things are released? Yeah, I mean, again, we would look at it on a case by case basis when someone's approaching us and, you know, depending on where they're at with it, if, if the record's done, you know, we're just going to look at that calendar. I don't I don't want a, a brand new artist's record, you know, coming out, you know, uh, there's there's almost no bad time. I mean, you know, you try to stay away from December, right? Like that's kind of not a great time. I also, you know, you, you, I would much rather start fresh in January than kind of limp to the finish line at the end of the year. So it really just depends on when you're kind of contacting us. And then we're just going to kind of look at that calendar and decide what makes sense, right? Obviously, September gets, you know, September and October get really busy, a lot of releases. So we want to try to navigate around that. Um, you know, you can't, really get press after the first worried about their spotify wrapped and all that crap you know no one's writing about new music in december right um and then you you everyone comes back from the holidays and they're asleep or they forgot everything that they promised you the month prior the holidays so like the first half of january is dead right 
So you kind of like want to only have stuff kind of coming out, you know, late January onward. You've got to navigate around South by Southwest in March. Uh, festival season is not such a not such a big deal. South by is a big deal because so many writers go to it. And they're only, you know, for a week before South by, they're only writing about the artists that are playing South by. Then the week of South by, who's there, and then the right, you know, the, the 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 writers are writing about who's there, but then they're also not paying attention to anything else. Then they come back; they're in their office the week after, but they're sick and they're tired, <laughs> so you can't reach them there. So you literally lose the writers at South by for like three weeks, right? So you got to be careful in March. Uh, the the depths of summer, you know, like July, sleepy time, people are on vacation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first half of August, sleepy time. You know, radio, we don't have as many issues. Radio, mm-hmm. there's a chart every week. So we can we can work something almost every every week of the year. There's a, a few exceptions there. But press will definitely always be looking at what's the best time to release this single, you know, and and uh you know, there'll there'll be more strategy involved mm-hmm. there. And we may say, hey, like, listen, let's not try to do uh pr for that single let maybe let's just do uh a dsp strategy maybe let's just do some playlisting uh or let's just do social media for that one because the timing stinks right mm-hmm. you know or or whatnot so yeah we'll always work with you and try to figure out some of the, the best times to do stuff press definitely we think about that we kind of i don't want to say agonize but we definitely think about it a lot on the press side mm-hmm. whereas on the radio side not so much okay Brilliant. You mentioned South by Southwest. Do you want to tell us more about like the impact that you can have for artists and how much you're involved as a PR company in South by Southwest and the importance of it in the States? Yeah, it's I mean, listen, South by is a great event. Um, you know, it gets a bad rap. I'm a big fan. It gets a bad rap from a lot of people because, they, uh, you know, it, it is so large. It's an easy target. Um and a lot of people do it wrong. You know, a lot of people think that they can just go to South by and get discovered and and that it's, you know, if they play South by, they're, uh, they've made it, right? You know, and and um, it's the one event everyone in the world knows about. It's the one event that every band member's parents have heard of. And so if they get accepted, they're totally going because it almost gives them credibility in their minds, right? But what they don't, what the, what they don't realize is like the expense, right? They're going to spend a lot of money coming to the U.S., getting a visa, flying over, getting hotel rooms, getting registrations, et cetera, renting backline. Uh, they may spend $15,000, $20,000. And they may play at the Irish showcase or whatever. And half the room is Irish. And that might be the highlight. That might be all they do. And they end up getting really very little out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And... Three months later, they're kind of cr- they're kind of crying in their beer, going, you know, I spent all this money and I got nothing out of it. You know, screw South by, right? And screw America. You can't break America. Whereas what they really should have been doing is having a kind of eighteen month, two year plan of leading up to South by. Mm-hmm. They should. I, I, I like to say my my good friend Millie Milgate came up with this term. It's called "go before you show." So you know, decide that you want to play South by in twenty twenty four. And send your manager or yourself over in 2023 and scope it out and learn it and learn what you're up against and learn what the good venues are and what the shit venues are and what time of day to be playing and when not to be playing and just understand the scope of it because 
there's no event this size you know it's everything in america is big and everything in texas is even bigger right and so if you're a european band you don't have you know you just don't have a an understanding of what you're up against there's 2500 bands playing all at the same time all looking for the same thing you're looking for there is a band playing from 11 a.m until 2 a.m uh every day in every club in austin and every pizza parlor and parking lot <laughs> you know so you're really up against it and so if you think you're going to come and just play and stand out and get anywhere you're mistaken and so that's why you know coming in that year before making contacts learning what the good venues are learning what the good sideshows are what the good what the good day parties are um aligning yourself with a pr firm um or a booking agency or someone that's presenting their own shows as well and then and then working the u.s market for the year before you come if you know i'm going to check bands out at south by that i've already heard of that i've already kind of they've been on my radar for the last year or i saw them play a smaller regional event and you know and it's a it's accumulation of what what they've been what they've been up to that previous year you know and, and maybe you were getting radio airplay and so they're on my radar or maybe you've been getting a fair amount of blog love so you're on my radar uh those are the bands that have successful south lives but the bands that just come over and and and, and think that they're going to get discovered by playing and, and that's the majority of them I, I i have a lot of bands that i talk to that get accepted to south by and again i i literally tell them don't come uh it's too early you haven't put the time in you're finding out in december that you're going in march and you've done nothing in america right so you now you now want to you're now calling me to hire me in january and you're basically telling me we've got 10 weeks to get a story going for you um before you come over we'll try and we may, we may get lucky with a few of you and get some good hits but more often than not it, it will be a, a tough slog and mm -hmm. imagine if you'd use that kind of year ahead of time um cuz also the dirty secret is you know a lot of a lot of blogs and a lot of booking agents and and PR firms if they're working with a band i don't want to say they can get you into south by but they can definitely get you on south by's radar to get you the invite right um so that's that's time well spent and you'll have a much more productive uh south by at the end of the day uh, again i'm a big fan of it I, I think it can if it's played right you can have a lot of momentum and come out of it you know really strongly um i'm a big i'm a big fan of it we have we host a party there a, a, a stage um we'll have a day party and a, an evening showcase uh, most years and it's great you know it's a chance for us to showcase artists we're working with and uh, most most promo firms have something um so uh, yeah definitely a big fan of it but you just have to play it right otherwise you're gonna spend a lot of money uh and get nothing you're gonna spend a lot of money either way but you <laughs> might want to but you might want to spend spend some money uh and, and get the most out of it also a, a big fan of the small regional events you know irish music week's a fantastic event in dublin and the buyers for south by and great escape and eurosonic and so many of these other showcase events are all there and you damn well better be playing that regional event because that's the easiest way to get into those events right um I'm, I'm always shocked at how many local, you know, and regional acts don't take advantage of the the smaller, you know, kind of regional events and, and their their national events there uh, in their home countries because uh, yeah, it's just perfect, you know, perfect way of getting in. But um, 
but yeah, that's that's South by it's it's uh it's it will always have a big presence there. We'll always have three or four of our employees there. We'll always have 20, 30, maybe even 40 clients playing there, depending on how many you know when I say client, it just means someone that I've worked with sometime in the previous year or 18 months that is then playing. You know, because I look at South by as kind of the culmination of the end, it's kind of almost like the end of the year, right? Even though it's in March, all the festivals in in that start in august all around the world and run through the new year through through your you know from from big sound in australia at the end of august early september through eurosonic in january are are all leading up to south by in march mm-hmm. right and so uh you know that's why we might have a lot of clients because we may have picked someone up you know a year ago and done a campaign for them and now they're coming to the u.s six months eight months later so we might not be actively working them right now but we've worked them recently and we're definitely going to let any of our stations know that played the record that they're coming over and and kind of doing it so yeah sometimes we can have as many as like 40 clients playing at south by so it just means we're all running around trying to see all of our our friends all of our clients right and and trying to support those shows, get the words out on those shows and, and, um, run around, shake hands, kiss babies, see as much as we can. And, and, you know, it's, it's a marathon, right? I mean, you know, we're literally going, well, I'll have meetings at nine, 10 in the morning, the band started 11 and I'm seeing bands until two in the morning. It's exhausting. You know, I've been going to South by since 1991. Uh, you know, every year I swear I'm never going again. And of course, I, you know, <laughs> I go, I go every year, right. Cause it's, our, it's a key thing for our business. Um, but it's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, thanks so much, Adam. It was very much golden nuggets that you delivered throughout, and especially the South by Southwest advice and general PR advice. Is there one last thing that you'd like to tell the listeners? Have we forgotten to talk about anything? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I would just always encourage artists to reach out to folks and not to be intimidated, right? You know, we really try to be really accessible here. Like we're really active on social media and um I, I try to keep our website really uh friendly and and have a lot of self-help type of stuff on our site so that people feel comfortable reaching out you know i, I would just always encourage artists to reach out right and de- definitely reach out to us or whomever um, don't be afraid to approach industry people we're all in this because we love music and we're all out there because we're trying to find cool new shit so we want to talk to you right we're all obviously you know we're all busy and sometimes it's hard to you know uh, get us or whatever but you know reach out like that's why i travel that's why i go to that events that's why I, that's how i met you right you, you I, I stuck around after my panel to meet people and you said hello and now we're talking and now we're friends and now we have con you know we've made that contact right that that's why we're out and about so i always just encourage people to uh to reach out and uh, I just try to be really accessible. So feel free to hit me up anytime. It's just Adam at planetarygroup.com. Uh, the website's planetarygroup.com and uh, happy to talk. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Adam. And yes, it was lovely meeting you. So uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you today after this impromptu encounter at Ireland Music Week. Now I will be talking to the music lover in you for the last question, which relates to the title of the podcast, The Music Tricked Me. I ask each guest at the end of the episode when there was a moment, maybe an artist or a record, kind of blew their mind, uh, surprised them because they did some trickery on the engineering, on the music, and that has just stayed with you. Is there a record like that for you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a technical person, right? So music tricks, production, this and that. You know, I don't know why I like what I like, right? In terms of like, you know, I don't sit there and go, oh, that's an, you know, you're playing a B sharp or that 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 recording is uh, you know amazing or you know yeah. I, that was never kind of my thing. I've, I've got about as much musical uh, training. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I sang in choir. Uh, I sight read. That's about the ex extent of my musical knowledge, right? You know, <laughs> I, every instrument I tried to play, I failed. So I'm not the most technical uh, person in that world. Uh, you know, I could all I can do is talk and walk at the same time, you know, <laughs> trying to actually, you know, play piano, play guitar, play clarinet, which my mom thought was a good idea for some reason. And that's a, way too much coordination for, for, for me. But I will tell you you know in terms of an album that kind of blew you know blew my mind i'll i'll I'll, I'll, I'll answer it that way right i mean discovering prince in the early 80s changed my life right i mean you know the 1999 album it's a double album it's a raunchy record it's down dirty funk I'm in the suburbs in my bedroom, you know, I'm, I'm horny and 15. Right. <laughs> I mean, like it's, you know, changed my life. Right. So, you know, and you're looking at those liner notes and you're looking at those pictures and you're going, wow, what is this? What is this world out there? You know, uh, songs about dance, music, sex, romance, like who doesn't want that? You know, uh, partying like 1999 at the end of the world. Who doesn't want that? You know, I, international lover you know amazing songs that just really st stuck with you and and then that obviously you know i was first in line at the record store to buy purple rain and then that obviously took it to the next level right mm -hmm. but the thing about prince that was so amazing was that because prince had come out of you know out of the the, the black radio and you know urban marketing if you will it was it was risky in the you know in the suburbs at that time until he broke through with little red corvette and then obviously broke through with purple rain like being a fan of prince was was risky because you know he was he was you know that was this is the 80s the conservative 80s and here's this black guy that's kind of like is he gay or is he straight you know what's going on here you know that was mind-blowing and as a music fan prince wrote so many songs for other artists and produced so many records for other artists under fake names. And we didn't have the internet when I was growing up. And you had magazines, but they were obsolete, you know, not obsolete, but like old news by the time it's out, right? So you just have to research and find, you know, you have to find find shit out and word of mouth. And it drove you to the record store. Prince was so prolific and writing for so many different artists and had so many different side projects that even by the time 1999, the album reached this white kid in the suburbs, he'd already put out these, you know, he had the first record from the time, which was only really marketed into the urban community. He had the Vanity Six record, same thing. And you started going into the stores almost every week to see what else he put out. Because you would read the liner notes and then you would look for those names, these fake names, Jamie Starr, Joey Coco, Alexander Nevermind. These were all records that were produced or written by Prince. And they were there was he was so prolific from from the 
controversy record through sign of the times it was all, there was a record a single a 12 inch a side project a cover record every other week so you're constantly going into the stores and it got me hooked they got me hooked at re reading liner notes right and wondering well, who's this guy who's this, <laughs> who, you know who, who's bob ludwig you know who's who's bob Clearmountain? uh who's jamie star well it was prince but you know who are these people who's kafalo rufalo fargnoli that was prince's management firm <laughs> but like what a great name like you know and you, you know you just start like just sucking you in right and i was very blessed to grow up in boston where we had harvard square which is you know kind of at the time was kind of the center of the universe of of, of boston for cool beatnik shit it was all the cool record stores were there newbury comics the harvard coop etc so many good record stores and uh they all were selling promos you know and and you could buy records cheap and you just go in there and just start working the crates right and i just started buying stuff and just hey that cover looks cool i'm buying that i'm buying this and uh it just opened up my world and i was bringing home you know 10 15 records a week every week you know, my parents were freaking out because I was spending every money that I made at the record store just buying more records. <laughs> and, you know, my mom used to think that my bedroom was going to fall, you know, was, it was going to fall through the ceiling because I had so many records, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, I, I, if I had to point to a, a certain time, I would point to the 1999 record. It, it definitely, you know, changed my life and it definitely uh, got me hooked on vinyl and on records and on artists and and dreaming right and uh got me into the record stores got me working at a record store got me into my college radio station and now i have a career because of it i mean you can really trace it all the way back to that mm -hmm. for better or for worse you know <laughs> so so there you go <laughs> that is an incredible story thank you so much thank you in general for your time today and sharing your love for music, your love for people. Uh, I could get that through our discussion. So thanks so much. And I hope we catch each other soon at some stages, either in Ireland or in Boston. Who knows? But uh, it'd be lovely to meet again. Um, uh, yeah, I'm point. not in Boston anymore. I'm in L.A. But uh, if you're ever in L.A. Uh, and then obviously, uh, hopefully I'll be um, generally do Irish Music Week every couple of years uh, when the, when they have me. So hopefully I'll be, I'll be back sooner than later. Brilliant. I'd love to come to Dublin in the summer when it's when I'm not... <laughs> freezing my ass off at Irish music week, but uh <laughs> hopefully that'll happen at some point but I, I do love Dublin and I, I love the music scene there and, and mm -hmm. always it's a great music scene that it punches well above its weight and uh you've got some got some great clubs and great people there and uh yeah I love love coming there so yeah thanks for having me great to uh great to connect yeah and you're very welcome here anytime thank you thank you, thank you so much